one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. I'm a veterinarian, sure, but I'm way more than that. I am also a tango dancer a struggling but determined pie maker, and a mom. With IndieVets, I get to choose when and where I work. I create my own schedule and choose shifts at nearby animal hospitals that are right for me. Having that flexibility is exactly what I need to have plenty of time for all those other things that I am. Because I'm more than just a vet. Visit IndieVets.com to learn more and apply. Family. It looks a little different for everyone. For some, it's mom and dad. For others, roommates who feel like family. And for others, it's your significant other, their golfing buddies, your children, a high school soccer team starting lineup, and oh look, they're all taking you up on the offer to stay for dinner, really testing the limits of that phrase, the more the merrier. But no matter where you call home, GEICO makes it easy to bundle and save on home and car insurance. Easier than making three frozen pizzas and assorted frozen veggies into a cohesive meal. Mara Thomas, Editor-in-Chief of UrbanHealthToday.com, part of the DocWire family of medical news sites, and I want to thank you for tuning in to Urban Health Weekly. Our goal each week is to keep you informed of the latest in health and medical news right from today's headlines. It's time to empower yourself with open conversations about your medical care with news that matters to you. So are you ready? Let's get started. Hi, I'm Tamara Thomas, and welcome to Urban Health Weekly. I'm here with my friends Jackie and Lou, and how are you guys? Good. How are you guys doing? I'm all right. What about you, Lou? I'm all good. <laughs> too eager? Did that sound too eager? No, it sounded like there was like a delay, like you were waiting for something special to happen. That's <laughs> I'm wondering what that was. Well, it's not my birthday, so you know. <laughs> right. Oh, you know what? I started watching this weird show on um, I think it's HBO Max. It's, it's with John Cena, it's this new show. He's a superhero peacemaker. peacemaker. Thank you. It's a weird show. It it continues off the movie, uh, The Suicide Squad, which, by the way, I thought the Suicide Squad movie was much better than the original Suicide Squad movie. This one was with Idris Elba. The original one was with Will Smith. I like this one a lot better. It was more gratuitous violence, which I I find entertaining. You enjoy? <laughs> I do. I do. Because it, and, oh, no, you got to tell me how many decapitations are in that movie, because I have a thing. I don't like movies with decapitations. And there are a lot of them lately. <laughs> no, well, no, I mean, I don't like it to that degree of like, you know, okay. oh, I want to see some heads roll and that kind of stuff. I just like the action sequences because it moves so quickly. And it's so matter of fact, the way they do it. It's not like okay. drawn out and tortured. It's like part of the ah. Yeah. So I like the hand-to-hand combat of it. That's that's really more what I like. Anyway, so on the show, the two uh, women made an interesting point. So this was in the, the show, The Peacemaker. So one of the characters, she's got little dogs. And she was talking about how one of her little dogs enjoys getting dressed up. And the other woman's like, no, he doesn't enjoy getting dressed up. And she's like, yes, he does. He perks up when he puts on a little outfit. And so she says to her, <laughs> well, do you pet him more when he has the outfit on? And she says, yes. 
She said, he doesn't like wearing the clothes. He just likes humiliating himself for your affection. (laughs) (laughs) So when I thought about it, I was like, you know, I always thought that my dog, because I have two dogs, Chewy and Coco. And I always thought that Chewy liked getting groomed because he felt spiffy and all that other stuff. And now I'm starting (laughs) to realize that maybe it's not about the, maybe he doesn't really care how he looks or, or, or anything. Maybe he's reacting to my reaction to him because I tend to put him on my lap more and snuggle him more when he's like all shaven and clean. So now I feel guilty. <laughs> I feel bad that I treat my dog differently when he's all clean and, and cut. Oh, your love is not, it's a little conditional. It's yeah, I guess so. I'm guilty as charged. I was about to try to deny it, but it's it's true. I'm ashamed to say. So I'm gonna start trying to make a more concerted effort to bathe him. I do it in the summertime, but in the wintertime, it's just so darn cold, and they're so little. They're like you know six pounds a piece. But uh, I'm gonna have to do it because that's that's not fair to him that he has. You to don't just it. take them in the shower or bathe them in the sink. I do bathe them in the sink. It's just that it's just been so cold. I haven't even wanted to take their clothes off of them. And then what happened was with everything closing, their appointment just kept getting pushed back. Cause you know, everyone, everyone. Came oh yeah. Everybody got ill. And he was just getting really antsy and anxious. And I was like, slow down guy. Don't worry. You'll get groomed soon. But I thought it was be, I really thought it was because he enjoys the grooming process. It didn't occur to me that maybe he enjoys the grooming because of what it means when he gets back home. Anyway, so let's get into the show. We got a lot to talk about today. Very interesting uh, topic. We're going to be talking about Medicare, Adjuhelm, and Alzheimer's equity. But first, let's start off with strongest evidence yet that multiple sclerosis is caused by Epstein-Barr virus. It has long been suspected that the common Epstein-Barr virus Why anyone would call that common, I don't know. But the common Epstein-Barr virus can trigger multiple sclerosis. Now, a study of 10 million military personnel in the U.S. has shown that virtually every case of MS is preceded by infection with the virus. The findings suggest a vaccine against the Epstein-Barr virus could greatly reduce the incidence of MS. MS is caused by the immune system attacking the protective sheath, called the myelin sheath, that wraps around nerves leading to symptoms such as difficulty walking that worsen over time. The Epstein-Barr virus is a kind of herpes virus that spreads mainly via saliva, for instance, by kissing or drinking from the same glass. It's the cause of mononucleosis, sometimes known as glandular fever. Initial infections may cause few, if any, symptoms, but once the virus gets into immune cells called B cells, it lurks in them permanently. It can reactivate and cause issues later in life including various cancers. The difficulty with demonstrating that the Epstein-Barr virus is the main cause of MS is that nine in 10 people worldwide is infected with it. That means scientists must monitor huge numbers of people to find out whether people who haven't been infected with the virus are less likely to develop MS. If this is true for even just the MS cases caused by Epstein-Barr, this is a cause for celebration because that means that the majority of suffering could be alleviated someday with a vaccine. You know, my aunt died of MS when I was a kid. Oh, wow. Yeah. She was very young. She wasn't even 30. And she was swollen. I remember her face was swollen. She always had a, like a beautiful angular face and she was very swollen. And I remember as a kid trying to sit in her lap, um, like I always did. And I remember she winced in pain and I just like shot up immediately. 
So wow. it's a devastating disease. By the way, did you know that a protein in the Epstein-Barr uh, virus produces attachments to locations in the human genome? And it's associated with six other autoimmune conditions besides multiple sclerosis, rheumatoid arthritis, juvenile idiopathic arthritis, SLE, celiac disease, diabetes, and inflammatory bowel disease. I think it's also possibly associated with fibromyalgia. You hear that a lot, maybe or maybe not. I think they call it the common Epstein-Barr because it's so common, I think, with that many people. I don't know anybody who hasn't experienced Epstein-Barr at some point in their life. I mean, it pops up all the time. Yeah. Well, there's a book called Cancer Virus, the story of Epstein-Barr virus, and it gets really deep into how destructive the virus is. I guess that's why the term common for me was just like, what do you mean common? It's anything, but, but I know what you mean when you say common, like so many people have. Yeah. Right. That must be why they say common. That's what I'm thinking. Oh, okay. I want to say Epstein-Barr. Is that EBV EBV6? I forget which one it is. It's, it's associated with Burkitt's lymphoma too. And yes. Yeah. I read that. I read that as well. Yes. And I read that data from the book that I just, the cancer virus, you know, was instrumental in helping to create vaccine programs in, in Africa and, uh, you know, um, for the, the disease. That's crazy. Well, I guess it's going to be sort of like, I mean, are they anticipating that it's going to be like the HPV vaccine? I you hope know, so. That it's prophylactic. Right? Yes, I hope so. Well, you better give it to people so quick. Well, that's the thing. They've got to start really so young. When you get it, because a lot of people get it just as little kids. Right, exactly. It's, le- it's less so like, like HPV vaccine. They give it around like nine or 10. You know, they give it around there before right. they a give child. It in my, fa- my, my feeling is that any disease or any virus that's going to lead to cancer, I think inoculation as early as possible should be part of the vaccine schedule. I would think the Epstein-Barr virus vaccine, that would have to be very early because Epstein-Barr is everywhere. I mean, it's really, it's out there. I don't see, uh, well, I don't know if you get it with like uh, a sharing a glass of water. Yeah, I know. Right. I don't know. Maybe it should be part of the early, but I don't know. But that depends on, you know, if a, a very young immune system can handle it. You right. I mean, like maybe it should be like an age five thing where before you, before you start, you know, a school setting or before you start a pre-K setting that you get that. That's a lot of vaccines before school yeah. age, man. There's so many out there. You got to get a lot for your kid for school. school but age. if it means that you're going to head off multiple yes. sclerosis and now less suffering that comes with that. Yes. I'll take it. I'll yeah. Take I, it. I made a decision on the HPV vaccine for my one. Yeah. Oh, I, okay. I made a decision. Yeah. So, so you're going to, you're going to do it. I already did it for him. Yeah. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Well, what yeah. Else? Now they recommend it, you know, for both sexes, you know, or, you know, for boys and girls and everybody, all kids, they recommend it for. Wow. I, I hope that this is, you know, coming sooner than later, because this is, Mm. this is a devastating, you know, reading about all of this stuff. This is a devastating virus. Speaking of IBD, is there a link between IBD and microplastics? In a new small scale study, researchers have found an association between inflammatory bowel disease and greater amounts of microplastics in stool. The findings appear in the journal Environmental Science and Technology. 
In the studies, researchers wanted to see whether there was an association between microplastics and IBD. People are exposed to microplastics throughout their lives, although the effects on health are not yet clear. Dr. Maria Nera, Director of Public Health, Environment, and Social Determinants of Health at the World Health Organization, or WHO, says that we urgently need to know more about the health impact of microplastics because they are everywhere, including in our drinking water. Based on the limited information we have, microplastics in drinking water don't appear to pose a health risk at current levels, but we need to find out more. We also need to stop the rise in plastic pollution worldwide. Dr. Yan Zhang is the corresponding author of the present study. He works in the State Key Laboratory of Pollution Control and Resource Reuse at the School of Environment at Nanjing University in China. And he previously found that in animal models, microplastics accumulate in the liver, kidney, and gut. He also found that this accumulation was strongly dependent on the microplastics particle size. The researcher explained to Medical News Today that compelling evidence shows that microplastics mainly accumulate in the gut of various species and cause intestinal inflammation and metabolic disruption. They found that the participants with IBD had significantly more microplastics in their feces than the healthy group. Now, just to be clear, the study does not demonstrate that microplastics cause IBD. Dr. Zhang says, it is difficult to say that microplastics contribute to causing IBD because IBD is a very complex systemic disease and its etiology is not clear. We prefer to believe that people with IBD are more likely to retain microplastics. Well, this isn't great news because 94% of tap water in the U.S. is contaminated with microplastics. Even filtered water has its fair share. And so like those, those uh, the ones that you do from your sink, you know, you have like yes. a dispenser, you have like a pitcher and it filters that out. It Is depends that- on the quality of the filter, but uh-huh. I don't know that it's 100%. Even 93% of bottled water contains microplastics. Well, first of all, bottled water is not bottled water. Bottled water is plastic. So, you know, obviously, yeah, it could be contaminated with plastic because you're drinking it out of plastic. But they're talking about microplastics like existing in the water. Oh, but you're, you're not saying. saying like the bottles, the plastic bottles are shedding the plastic. No, that's not. Like, yeah, we're not talking about leaching. We're talking about just the microplastics that so are- So microplastics that have gone into the waterways. Right, and exactly. Are not getting filtered. Oh, yeah. And it's, it, you know, and these are endocrine disruptors. You know, people may think, oh, what's, a, what's the big deal? It's a little bit of plastic. My liver will take care of it. Well, these, these are endocrine disruptors. And, and that means that they interfere with the normal function of your hormones. And I'm not sure people realize how important and how central your hormonal system is to your body. I mean, this controls everything from eating and sleeping to having sex and making babies. Like, Everything, hormones control everything in your body. And if that gets messed up, you have a whole world of health problems. And not only that, it seems like every day almost there's some new hormone that is discovered that has new importance. And all your like established, like the liver, the thyroid, like the ovaries, they make more hormones and new hormones that we haven't even discovered yet that are important. It's crazy. You don't want to disrupt your hormones. No, exactly. You know, and it's very difficult to say because most people rely on tap water. But the only thing I could say in my very non-professional, let me say it again, non-professional <laughs> opinion is to stock up on activated charcoal. 
activated charcoal. Activated charcoal. According to an article I read on PubMed, activated charcoal has been shown to reduce microplastics from water. And let me tell you, if you put some, I of think that, some of those filters, the the like. Well, that's the, the thing. If you have those, are activated charcoal. Activated charcoal, but it's but it has to be enough of it. And I'm not sure. Oh, that's not a lot in those things. Like yeah. the the picture I have with the filter system. It's gotta it's have a, like a very a very high amount of the activated charcoal. But you could also just add a, a teaspoon of activated charcoal to your water. I know it's disgusting. It sounds Ooh, that was old school. When I was a kid living in Europe, I remember in France they would give the, us like activated charcoals. Yes, you know, and, and, it, and it and it yeah. just helps your liver to clear. It made your tongue black. Yes, but temporarily. But it but it drew all of that stuff. Like I remember after I had my colonoscopy, I was really not feeling well. I was having a, a reaction to the anesthesia, the twilight and stuff. And that was just twilight. It wasn't like even full on anesthesia. Right. But I was really sick afterwards. And then I started drinking activated charcoal and I was fine. Where did you get that? Where'd you get activated charcoal at? Um, I got it at a health food store. It's okay. Not, it's not that expensive. It comes in like a little jar. It's not expensive to, to produce, but oh my gosh, it really does. You know that David Osprey guy, the bulletproof coffee guy, he, he oh, yeah. talks about it. He's always talking about it. He's like, Oh, you know, I, I had a cookie and then I had some, <laughs> some. Oh, he thinks he can undo the sugar with activated. <laughs> because the less of that stuff that's going through your liver is the better for you. Because what happens? Does, binds does it, he take an aspirin while he drinks? Does he drink alcohol and take an aspirin at the same time? Does he do it that oh, way too? <laughs> I don't know. I can't say. I'm just, I'm just talking about the activated charcoal. I'm not. But what's the microplastics? If you know how, like they say, like if you have a bottle of water and then the water freezes, you mm-hmm. should especially not drink that bottle. If you it know. freezes or if it's left out in the sun. There was oh. a singer who had actually gotten, she'd gotten uh, throat cancer by, oh. drinking, by leaving her, wa- her water bottles in the car and it got hot and she would drink it afterwards. Anytime that ever happens, I just throw it out. Is that, I, do you think I, that's I, microplastics or that's separate? That's and not what, a- well, it's leaching. It's leaching. So leaching, right. right. Leaching, which is a little bit different than microplastics, but okay. it's the same effect. You're still getting plastics into your system. Um, and those plastics are endocrine disruptors. So you want to try. To so do you think them. those microplastics, are they like from BPA or who knows what? Because there's more than uh, just. There's BPA. another one. There's BPA, um, but a lot of bottled uh uh, companies have done away with the BPA. I forgot what the other one is called. It's B. Um, it is a. Is a, it is it's a like an alternative to BPA to get away from BPA. It's, right. It's a right. Exactly. It's a. It's another B uh, phenol, but I can't remember the name of it. I'd have to look that up and, and look at the right. Article. I, but I don't want to like spend um, right, right, right. time on that. But yes, it's another. It's another BP. I just can't remember what the what that particular BP is. But it's not BPA. But it's still harmful. Activate your charcoal, filter your water. Filter your water as much as you can. Try not to drink tap water. Like when I go out to restaurants and they say, oh, do you want still or tap? I just have none because I just probably recommend just not drinking it. Did you hear the horrible story, by the way, about the man who he, well, I forgot what chain restaurant it was. It was a Cracker Barrel, I think. And he thought he was drinking a glass of water. And it was like a glass of chemicals and it burned him, burned his esophagus. Oh my God. How did that happen? I, you know, I think 
that I don't think it was an accident for someone to give him an entire glass of chemical. I think someone, he must've pissed someone off or someone must've been in a foul mood and decided to take it out on a customer. And anyway, that happened a few years ago and he still has health problems as a result. And um, the the jury finally awarded him like a whopping multi-million dollar settlement. But yeah, it was like some cleaning solution that someone poured into the glass and gave him. And, you know, most people, when they get the water on the table, they don't give it a thought. They just knock it back. And so that's yes, what he did. Yes. It, it, you know, which is totally unrelated. I was just, just a <laughs> with, You digress. With, with, with drinking water from restaurants, which I don't recommend, but um, I know most people do it. I know Lou does that all the time. Drinks I was doing that. So if they offer bottled water, like... Uh, like, you know, like a pitcher of water, like a... Well, pretty bottled water. I, I got a feeling that they just spill those. Uh, I've know. always thought that, too. They yeah. just fill that up at the tap also. Yeah, yeah. it's not like I just don't, smart water. Anyway. Yeah, I just, as a habit, just don't drink it because I don't know where it's coming from. If I haven't poured the water myself or I haven't picked it up in the supermarket, I'm just not, I'm not going to consume it. So um, do we have time for the next one, Lou, or do we take uh, a break? I think we should take a break. All right, we'll take a break and then we'll come back. And we're back and on to less depressing news. Could an army vaccine be a game changer against all future coronaviruses? Hmm. Skyrocketing COVID-19 cases have many experts talking about yearly boosters or variant-specific vaccines. But what if there were an adaptable, universal coronavirus vaccine that could fight any COVID variant or even any future coronavirus? That's exactly what the U.S. Army is developing right now. White House Chief Medical Advisor Dr. Anthony Fauci recently touted the importance of a universal vaccine to protect against all COVID variants. In an interview with NBC, Fauci said a universal COVID vaccine would mean that the initial vaccination would cover all of these little variants, so you wouldn't have to worry. We want a pan-coronavirus vaccine so that you have it on the shelf to respond to the next level pandemic, Fauci said. Ultimately, you want to get a vaccine that covers everything. In December, the U.S. Army announced that its pan-coronavirus vaccine, the spike ferritin nanoparticle COVID-19 vaccine, SPFN for short, had completed phase one of human trials with positive results. Dr. Kayvon Majarid, director of infectious disease at Walter Reed Army Institute of Research and co-inventor of SPFN, told Defense One, we're testing our vaccine against all the different variants, including Omicron the strain causing breakthrough infections, even in people who have received booster shots. SPFN still needs to undergo phase two and three human trials, though, to test its efficacy and safety in comparison to current treatments, Majorad said. We're going to keep our eyes peeled for more developments on that front. I just want to know where to sign up. Where do I sign up? Because I want off this roller coaster. Because if this pans out, then we can finally truly get back to it. And maybe more people will jump on board 
maybe because it's just one shot as opposed it's just to just one shot. I have heard people shot. say they're annoyed that we might be having to get boosters every six months. Like uh, it is I an annoying thought. It is an annoying, particularly because it's so hard to get the shots. And who the hell has the time to do this every six months? Like I get my flu shot every year. And even that's like, well, no, it's not as much a pain because it's, it's very, you can get it very easily. It's not like a shortage. You don't have like, you know, people piling up for it. So it's very right. easy to get. But I'd like for it to become like that if this doesn't pan out. But if this pans out and you just one and done, baby. I'm I didn't even that. realize that they had the the wherewithal to have that kind of ambition to come up with. I didn't know that it was doable. That's impressive. That is very impressive. But I think we're at a time now where the government wants to take some control away from private industry. Louis, do you want to jump in on this? <laughs> that's what it, it, it feels like to me. I mean, it's a good thing. But, you know, I wonder what that's going to do. To I mean, it's too. a good thing in theory. But I, I think number one is how, how they used to say it. Uh, you know what you know, but you don't know what you don't know. So, okay, it works against all existing variants and anything we can dream up of. But if this, if the number of unvaccinated people remains the same and this thing keeps going through the washing machine of viruses, we don't know what's going to develop from this thing three, four, five years from now. And will this vaccine be effective against it? And the other thing is that, you know, our, our definition of effective vaccination kind of varies. What they're saying now is, and which is fine with me, is that effective vaccination means that once you take the vaccine, even if you get infected with COVID, you're not going to get sick, which is what's happening in a lot of cases with seriously sick, which I'll take, you know, in terms right. of in terms of where we're going. So that whole definition, because that, then you get knuckleheads on social media and TV that revel at, at talking about all the people that are infected with COVID that took the vaccine, yada, yada, yada. Yeah. But most of those people come back and live. People that didn't have the vaccine. Uh, are the ones piling up in the are hospitals. The, are in the right. hospitals are dead. You know, that's, that's kind of, th- there's a lot to be said there. And um, cautious optimism is what I'm doing. Would you tell- it seems almost unbelievable, though, that they might be at the point of that that Fauci is thinking that that's doable. Did, I mean, we yeah. haven't we haven't had it for the flu. We, I mean, it's a little mind blowing. Is that really around the corner in some capacity? I'm amazed that's already made. You know, it's already in phase one phase trials. One. Well, we you know what we've de- we've we've developed enough data on this, and we sort of know the. And also MRA is not, it's not like it's difficult to make. Um, if it's MRNA based, I don't know. Um, but I can't imagine that with all the data given and all the multiple ways that this is, I mean, look, Cuba has three different vaccines for the coronavirus that are very, that have proven very successful, have beaten it back and they're giving it to, you know, to other third world countries. So, wow. so it, it's also like everybody getting behind this instead of it just being a case of pharmaceutical profit, right. R and D. Right. It's, it's it's about you know the power doesn't stay up there with the Pfizer's and Moderna's and the BioNTech's of the world. It's 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 becoming like this is everyone is affected by this and everyone who has the science is trying to see what they can do to add mm-hmm. to to the pot. Yeah. Oh, look. 
<laughs> of course, I'm going to defend pharma. <laughs> so, yes, you all, all I got to say is that you always do. Pharma <laughs> has the ability, and private industry has the ability to move very quickly, which they did a lot quicker than the government. Now that this sounds pretty quick to me, though. Okay, now phase one. Year, okay, and we didn't even know about it. But imagine how much death was saved. Uh, this thing is going into year three now. Imagine how much. Oh my God! I wish saved. people would stop saying that. This is only year two. This okay. is we've just completed. Yeah. March will be well. Technically, if you go back to 2019, then this is two years. You know, there's only 12 months in a year. I, I I can't stand when people say, "Oh, our third year." No, this is not our third year of this. We've only been dealing with this for two years, and that's still a lot. But it's not three years. Stop exaggerating. Well, number one, I'm no, not saying you're exaggerating. Look, I'm saying in general, people exaggerating the saying third year. You know, when this we say government, government year. is piggybacking on research that was done by pharma. Number one. Okay, number two. Who cares? Oh, haven't we oh, had this? No. Haven't we had this discussion before? Yeah. Pharma is also I'm sorry. benefited from from subsidies, from government subsidies, government subsidies exactly. to research. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> Look, it's a lot easier to modify a car than it is to invent the car. Okay. And um, you know, you're taking you're taking things that have been perfected, taking those technologies and moving them forward. If now, that's what they're actually doing, we don't know what the basis of their of their vaccine is. I'm assuming it's M- mm-hmm. mRNA. I don't know that for mm-hmm. a fact. None of us know because they yeah. haven't said. Yeah. So, but we'll I, definitely I, be keeping an eye on look, this. I'll, I'll take, I'll, I'll take it, uh, and uh, you know, it's, it's, it's good. It's timely. Let, let's hope. I mean, I'm, I'm rooting for it. That's, that's what I gotta say. All right. I want you to know that I am available for, <laughs> for testing. Human trials. <laughs> I'm available for phase two. Phase two and phase three. That's right. <laughs> Sign me up. That's all I have to say. <laughs> all right. On to this week's topic, disparities in Alzheimer's uh, diagnosis and treatment. Now, here's the deal. So first, let me set the stage with this. For the estimated, this is according to, this is from AARP. For the estimated 6 million older Americans living with Alzheimer's disease, race and ethnicity are a barrier to quality medical care, according to a new report from the Alzheimer's Association. The special report on race, ethnicity, and There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Alzheimer's in America found that 66% of Black Americans believe it would be hard for them to get what they perceive as excellent care for the brain disease. 
That view is shared by 40% of Native Americans. When Swift is on the grill, good times are sure to follow. And we'll help you keep them going around the grill all season long. Good food, good moments, one great meal. Come together with Swift. 39% of Hispanics and 34% of Asian Americans. All were also likely to distrust medical research and unlikely to believe healthcare professionals empathize with them. Wow. Clearly, I know, right? Clearly, discrimination, lack of diversity among healthcare professionals, and mistrust in medical research create significant barriers to care and demand the country's full attention, said Carl V. Hill, PhD, MPH, Chief Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Officer of the Alzheimer's Association, in a statement. Regardless of race or ethnicity, survey respondents see affordability as the most likely barrier to excellent care and support for Alzheimer's or dementia, ranging from 70% of Asians to 52% of Blacks. To a lesser extent, Americans also see lack of health insurance coverage, services missing in their community, and a lack of family and community support as likely barriers. Blacks, however, were most likely to perceive racial and ethnic discrimination as a barrier to receiving quality Alzheimer's care, with 36% saying so, compared to 19% of Asians, 18% of Hispanics, 12% of Native Americans, and just 1% of whites. A significant concern among racial and ethnic groups is a perceived lack of empathy from healthcare providers. Just 48% of Blacks feel confident they have access to providers who understand their ethnic or racial background and experiences. That compares with 47% of Native Americans, 49% of Hispanics, and 63% of Asian Americans. Now, Aduhelm, that's the, the Biogen drug. Medicare recently put forth a draft plan to only cover Aduhelm for patients enrolled in a randomized clinical trial. Biogen, the company behind the drug, and major Alzheimer's patient groups all panned the proposal, saying it would make it harder for vulnerable populations to access the medicine. The Alzheimer's Association called it shocking discrimination. They note that only a limited number of people can enter a clinical trial and that those clinical trials are likely to occur at major medical institutions, which are more often located in wealthy white areas of the country. Lower income patients, too, might struggle to access the drug if they can't drum up the nearly $30,000 to pay for it out of pocket. There is good reason to highlight these, these concerns. Black and Hispanic people are significantly more likely to develop Alzheimer's than white people, but are far more often excluded from clinical trials. And even when they can participate, Black individuals were 35% less likely to be diagnosed with Alzheimer's, despite the fact that they are estimated to be twice as likely as white individuals to develop the condition, according to a 2021 study. But Stack spoke to several of the nation's top researchers on the racial disparities in Alzheimer's disease, and they uniformly argued that increasing access to the new therapy would only have a minimal impact on addressing health inequities. Several even praised Medicare's proposal because they said it would help gather needed data on how well Adjuhelm works in people of color. Many of us who actively work in inclusive dementia spaces are in broad agreement. Medicare's decision to cover Adjuhelm in clinical trials is the best incentive to, to, to determine whether it even works in women and people of color. That's from Jonathan Jackson, Executive Director of the Community Access Recruitment and Engagement 
Research Center at Massachusetts General Hospital. He said that regulators absolutely did make the right decision given the lack of representation of people of color in Biogen's original clinical trial. The debate underscores the rift in the Alzheimer's community over the best way to address these persistent inequities. Advocacy organizations see any effort to keep patients waiting for the drug as creating a two-tiered system. But academics, Stapp spoke to, felt that advocacy organizations' efforts could be better spent addressing more systemic issues like overcoming the obstacles that keep Black and brown people out of Alzheimer's clinical trials or from receiving a proper Alzheimer's diagnosis. So this is where we disagreed. Okay. I agree with Medicare's stance and he didn't. I think that if they have to write checks for 25,000, and by the way, did you know that Medicare premiums have gone up for all Medicare uh, patients as a result of this, as they prepare to have to write these $28,000 really? checks? No. Absolutely, yeah. And they brought down the price. It was like 56000 And they magnanimously brought it down to twenty eight. <laughs> Right. And yeah. I don't get how are you going to I don't get how that works if you have to put up the money and get who's got the money to put up. Oh, and you need a PET scan and a diagnosis. Thank you. Means in and order to qualify for treatment. So that means you have to have a neurologist. Right. You have to get covered for the PET scan and you have to go through that full neuro, you know, right. neurological evaluation. Right. So you have to have a diagnosis. Right. And then what if it doesn't work for people of color? Right. So far, a drug has not proven that it's it's working. Uh, it, the, the buzz really is based on the neurologists who see it, the, the potential for, for clearing the amyloid plaque, but it hasn't really proven out so far. You remember we talked about this several weeks ago and yes. I was marveling. You don't know whether it or not it's amyloid plaque is really the only cause. Right, or really exactly. The cause. And I could see how some neurologists want to take the position, well, I'd like to do something for my patients. Right, because time is with the disease right. like Alzheimer's. Like the sooner, right. the faster you can get, you know, uh, anything going, any type of treatment, the sooner right. you can beat it back and not have to deal with the deleterious, uh, you know, debilitating. Right, delay those effects. Yeah. Right, exactly. So if you can delay it as much as possible, you know, that's what you want to do and get in there early. So I understand the urgency, but it has to work for everybody. And I agree with their stance. Well, first of all, I want to give kudos to AARP to do such a massive oh, yes, yes. and big survey. Yeah, bravo. It, you know, it, it always seems that big, uh, that, uh, you know, surveys in pharma and all this come from pharma, you know, clinical mm-hmm. trials are yeah performed by pharma. So when someone independent comes and does a survey or something, somebody as credible as AARP, uh, that's a very good thing. So kudos to them to do that. Uh, Number two, let's look at the study itself, which is who's worried. I absolutely feel that I agree with the results. If I was African-American, I was faced with a lot of other things, uh, economic disparities and other things that they are more likely to have. I'd be damn worried because what are they going to do with me? At what point is my family going to give up on me and stick me in a home or or put me somewhere else where if I was with a family with a, a, a bit more resources, more means, I'd have more space in the house or have my own house. I would have access to nurses. I would have access to better insurance. So I wouldn't be as worried. The whole survey is, are you concerned? It's not, are you going to get it, but are you concerned about it? So, yeah, the, the poorer you are 
or the more underprivileged you are, you're going to be more concerned about this this problem. Now that starts leading us down the road is if you're very concerned about something, sometimes you're going to test less for it. Um, And you're not going to go, if you don't have insurance, the test for Alzheimer's are ridiculous. You have to prove beyond the shadow of a doubt that you have all this stuff. They got to take a spinal tap, this and that. Forget about it. Who's going to do that? Uh, well, also the screen, also the screening, the initial screening for it is a bit iffy too, because don't they have like you know this 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 things that you have to like they ask you questions and so on and so forth, and you have to be able to answer those questions. So you may very well have early signs of dementia, but you may be able to answer those mm-hmm. questions. I remember years ago, it might when- be too early. To, to get diagnosed. Right. Yeah. Like I felt like I felt like my mom was showing signs of dementia mm-hmm. be, because, you know, I I'm around her all the time. And right. I, so you know, but she didn't right. necessarily. But when they when the doctor asked her particular questions, she was able to answer them clearly. So their criteria for what defines Alzheimer's I think that needs work as well. But go ahead back to your point, which by the way, I'm just going to rat you out a little bit. And that's not, and say that that's not what you were saying when we were having the discussion. Oh, I haven't got <laughs> Okay. <laughs> All right. I'm, I'm just, go ahead. I'm giving, go ahead. I'm, I'm, I'm giving just you, saying that I'm we, giving you the floor. We've got a real disparity here. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I like to look at what are the causes of disparity and, and try to head things off at the past before they, they, you know, the further the further we let dementia go, the more and more prohibitive it is. You know, Alzheimer's is up to now. One of the worst things about it is it really has no cure. Um, and it's kind of like a freight train. Once it gets started, it, it's going to get right. there. Uh, and there's no stopping it no matter what. So one of the things that we were hearing about was keeping that person mentally, mentally agile. Think of it as having them do Sudoku's every day or, or some or some nonsense so that, you know, they can they can be uh, engaged because one of the things that happens with the agent is they stop working. After that, all their friends die um, or start dying or become retired or drift off. And uh, there's nothing for them to do. There's a lot of there's a lot of other things that are incorporated with the aging loneliness quietness, uh, you know, lack, lack of, of routine, communication, lack of routine, all that or a routine that's basically very sedentary. Mm-hmm. Again, money plays into it. If you're more affluent, your family's more affluent, you're going to have more opportunities. You're going to have the opportunity to have a health aid come in. Uh, you're going to have the opportunity to have people come in and do things with you, even if it's just to make sure they're on your will, you know, that, that kind of stuff that happens. So affluence has, to me, plays a lot into it. The second thing is there's always been a correlation between high blood pressure and Alzheimer's and dementia. They can't prove it, but one thing tends to, you know, people with high blood pressure tend to have the disease a bit more. Again, it's a disease that's much more prevalent amongst people that are poor, A, because of diet, B, because of lack of health care. So if we have all of these things that, you know, if the feeder system is primed, yeah, we're going to get people into that feeder system in terms of where we're going. Now, as for the question. Yes. And why yeah. you the question again? The question is why should... No, it wasn't make- a question. The discussion that you and I had was about Adjuhome mm-hmm. and Medicare stance that 
if we're going to foot this bill, that we're going to foot the bill, your, your patients, all anyone who takes your pill has to be in uh, a clinical trial because we want proof of life. Mm-hmm. And you felt that that was wrong. You were, you and the Alzheimer's Association, mm-hmm. maybe not the Alzheimer's, but I forget the other one, felt that this was an outrage. It shouldn't be. They should just right. pay for it. And I felt like they absolutely should do this because otherwise the only people this is going to work for are the people who can afford it anyway. And the people who have great insurance and the people who have connections to, um, to get the care. So every, every person that has Medicare is going to be on the hook premium wise for this drug. That's ridiculous. Most people's premiums don't even add up to $28,000 a year. And they're being asked to foot the bill for what could potentially down the road between this coronavirus and all these inflammatory conditions be a blockbuster of people uh, coming up with Alzheimer's in the future. They're going to be on the hook for millions of dollars. And I'm not pro um, insurance by any means. I'm saying that if they're going to have to shell out this kind of money, we're going to need some proof of life. We're going to need to make sure this works for everybody, not just a small group. Tell well that's the so that's yeah, the question. It, it, Tell me I, why are you taking the, are you yeah. taking the position that look we've got something that's got potential. Why do we need to stop access for those people who might be able to access it? Is right. that what you're saying, Lou? Well, proof of life with Alzheimer's is you've got to have it, and you know they, there's a lot of you know that you start on that road early, and it, it's a progressive disease. So the clinical boundary right now for having Alzheimer's is you got to have deep Alzheimer's. You know, you know what I mean? It's not like I'm getting, but Algae Helm is not made for deep Alzheimer's. No, it's made for early on. Yeah. Just to delay. delay You're not going to, you may not prove positive for it. It's like, I was, there are other types of dementia. You have to, you have to make sure it only works for Alzheimer's dementia. There's other dementias. So they have to differentiate between that. Right. So, you know, once the, once you start having problems, you, it's very hard to clinically tell what kind of dementia you have. It's only after the disease progresses a bit that, that you're there. You've got to nip it in the bud. So what you have to do is you have to start making these drugs available to large populations where they have them or not. The people with Alzheimer's can be a subset of the trial. But I think that you've got to give this to people at all stages, from stage zero to stage whatever. Now, the price of the drug is contingent upon how many people are eligible for the drug. The so, drug you're, has, so you think that they're going to drop their price to, say, 14000 oh, 14, <laughs> drop their the, the lower, the, low, the more pills that you can give out, at the earlier stage, the cheaper this treatment is going to be up until where you get to the point where you're, you're basically paying above compound because the way they do it, you know, when, when you get into farmer pricing is they, they're going to, they're going to put in their profit. So if you've got a profit, okay. Here we go. Profit. I, oh yeah. So over a thousand doses versus a profit that's being divided over a million doses. Let's give out the million doses. As long as it doesn't hurt you to take it, I think it's a good thing. But he's not giving out a million with the equity problem. But are we giving out a million doses at 28,000 
a pop? Is no, that the prices doing? are going down just like it was 56, it went but, to 28. But, but it, it wasn't 56 just an inflate. Did they just call out that number? How did they come up with 56,000? They come up with the number because they, they start saying, okay, who do I give it to? And when they see that they can't give it to anybody because you, you got to be like all the way at, at, at that stage of Alzheimer's. Well, you're supposed to be diagnosable at the stage where you're diagnosable and it needs to be early stage for it to be effective it won't once you so they have to determine you're at that particular stage of alzheimer's well you know if you look at it and you say okay six million people in the united states have alzheimer's you multiply that all out throughout the planet you're talking about a couple of hundred million people have alzheimer's on this planet and the population's aging it's only going to get to be more people Right. So if you say $28,000 times that, there's not enough money in the world to cover this. Forget about just insurance. There just isn't enough. So the price goes down. The price will go down. But you have to make this a much more inclusive process to get this product. Oh, my God. He's saying something completely different. It's inclusive. Isn't that saying it? it, I'm saying everybody should get it. You don't have to be on the damn trial. Just give it to people. But most people cannot afford that kind of money. First of all, this is being covered by Medicare, not Medicaid. Medicare, which is what? Elderly people, right? Mm -hmm. So you have to be over. over. Yeah. Right. This is not even talking about other insurance companies. And then how early are you really going to find this if this is only paid for by Medicare? Okay, well, remember, you de- it's, a, it's a condition that usually only affects retirees. And let me tell you, my mother couldn't get, what was it? I think it was Part D because she was like one quarter shy. Mm-hmm. Part D is pretty close to Medicaid, isn't it? And Medicaid doesn't cover what medicare does yeah part d she she wasn't able to get the insurance part of it she wasn't able i don't know if that's Mm. part d i know she was able to get like uh, two of the parts and then the third part which was the the insurance part that kicks in after medicaid i think right Mm. she was not eligible for that because she was one quarter shy so you're probably going to have a lot of people who fall short of that and can't afford it and my thing is, is that if they're going to be footing this humongous bill, which by the way, all mm-hmm. Medicare people have to pay right. for, with it. So from that pot, mm-hmm. everyone is going to be responsible for that. So like, for example, if you're uh, an older person and you don't have issues mm-hmm. with Alzheimer's or dementia, guess what? You're still responsible. Your premium is still going up mm-hmm. because right. they've got to figure out how they're going to pay for this stuff. That's the first thing. The second thing is, how will they know once they start paying all of this out? See, my thing is, I think that insurance does this thing, not insurance, I'm sorry. Pharma does this thing where they get the cream off the top and then they go back afterwards and figure out, oh, well, I guess this didn't work for in this instance. They profit while they can. They make. They right. And then they go back profit. afterwards after they've already the made the money. Is and maybe, the profits in the of course, the, the $28,000 is a lot of profit. This Don't is tell just me. To cover costs. This is not to just cover costs. This, the this, is, this, this is over $2,000 a month. The profit of this thing. Well, first of all, I and then, don't, I don't and then know what's the regimen? And then what's the regimen? I don't, I don't how know many how long they have left in the pack. That's another. So it would be a case where I think you'd have to get either intravenously and uh, and or- that's going to cost money as well because then guess what? You have to that that person who's putting that needle in your arm, they have to be paid. Right. You have to go to the neurologist to get it done. So it's every four weeks. Yeah. 
and it's got to be a done at hospitals or an infusion therapy center. So it, it, you know, that adds up. That's, that's, that's on top of the price of the, the mm-hmm. drug. Well, uh, unless people are taking it now and, and we have a good number, we, we're just not going to find out if this thing is effective or not. Uh, but know. that's why they're saying we want everybody. Oh, and one of the side effects, by the way, is brain swelling. Yes. And, uh, and a lot of people are arguing that they're concerned that, you know, there's a lot of side effects. And one of them is, you know, brain swelling and dizziness. Yeah, remember we were talking about we don't know how this even came to market, how this got approved. Mm-hmm. Yes. Go ahead. You were saying, Jackie. It's controversial. It's kind of, there's some people who uh, really are not so impressed. Some, some neurologists want to offer it because they, they want to be proactive and they want to be able to offer right. the patient something as opposed to nothing, which is what was there before. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not a drug that has universal praise and approval and it's $28,000. <laughs> right. Exactly. So, I think a lot of this can just be solved with Pfizer sitting themselves down with the room with all, with the Medicaid folks negotiating a price just for them and and getting it done and what uh, do you think that price is because you think that twenty eight thousand. You- I, I, I don't know i mean you know it's, it's whatever it is at this point it's 20 did they just throw out did they throw out twenty eight thousand just to establish a high number so it could be negotiated down even further but not too long they have a formula okay. some of it is is based on how much money has gone into developing the drug some of it is is develop is and and part of the reason why these drugs are so expensive for Alzheimer's is there's been so many dead ends and so many billions of dollars spent already looking for drugs to cure this thing, and they always wind up being a dead end. That all that money kind of gets put into a pot, and then what they're saying is, okay, I've got to recoup that pot. It's almost like you repairing some old house and putting like four hundred thousand dollars into this old house. And you pay, let's say you bought it for $200,000. Then you go out there and try to sell it for $600,000 when this house is only really worth $250,000 in the market. But in your mind, I want to get back what I put into it. And that's kind of how the drug companies are saying, we put in so much money into Alzheimer's and into Alzheimer's research, and they're the only ones doing it. I Okay, let's think they're the only ones doing it. I don't think they're, I mean... They've benefited all this time. There's plenty of yeah. government subsidies, and I Absolutely. recognize they want to make a profit. But yeah. th- this is a—we've had this argument before. All yeah. right, go ahead. Yeah. Well, I was going to say that I liken this this example that you just gave to: I bought a house for two hundred thousand dollars. I fixed this house for two hundred thousand dollars. But I'm going to sell this house for a million dollars because I've got to recruit on all the losses from all the other houses. All the other houses. All the other houses. That's outrageous. That's not how you price a house. You price a house based on the comparables, and you price a house based on no comparables. But but that's not what they're even doing. They're not even doing that. Have you ever heard of any other drug that that treat Alzheimer's that is even near that that price, Jackie? Uh, no, I mean, what I do see is that this is a different class of drugs. So they've made progress there. It's a whole different class of drugs. And that's exciting. Uh-huh. But it's only a phase one trial. I, we, you know, it's super controversial. Not everybody's so impressed, other than the fact that this is a new class of drugs. And that's, you it know, just hasn't proven itself. At this no. point. And to ask for that kind of money, I, I think they're right to ask for more data and more diverse data. That's all I'm saying. 
how this is back to our question though of how do we get more diverse data we need more people to participate in trials yes not everybody and that's hard to get right that is yeah that's the problem and part of it is because of the whole diagnosis criteria that you know, while you know they have Alzheimer's, did they go through the, you know, the, the you know, people that are not as fortunate have the ability to go through all the diagnostics yeah. to stay beyond a reasonable doubt? And do they even get referred up to a neurologist who might be able to tell beyond the, that initial yeah. diagnosis? That's the thing. That's I don't know that that's really happening across the board. I think a lot of diagnosis from what I've seen and my experience happens at the NP level. They give you some test and they say some word test and they say, oh, this one can't even remember their own name. You know, you got Alzheimer's and all of a sudden you have it without having the clinical diagnosis uh, of that. And I'm I'm a little surprised that the Medicare requires that clinical diagnosis. I, I think that's a big impediment to equity in this drug. How so? Who's going to have the money for that? To go get spinal tap, this and that, you know, it's a lot. You've got to go through a lot of stuff to get that 100% clinical diagnosis on this in order to be clinically diagnosed with it, where you can see that this condition exists. I mean, yeah, that's a fair point. Well, they're saying it only works for Alzheimer's. It doesn't work for the, all the other dementias. That's what they're saying. I think it starts with people first need to be referred to a neurologist. People need to first be sent up to a neurologist. Yeah, it's the neurologist who right. uh, calls for all those tests. Okay. Right. And the gatekeeper is, as you said, the NP or the PA or the, the doctor or the, the primary care doctor. Those are the, the frontline people who may or may not. So that so I think the problem then is is educating goes right back to educating these doctors on when in doubt, refer it out, mm-hmm. you know, or, and, and they're not necessarily the doing criteria. that. Change the criteria. I'm not saying lower it, but change it. So it's not as onerous because when you have an onerous criteria for diagnosis like this, right. Yeah. You're, you're going to really get a whole slew of people that are not going to go through it's it true. And, or not even allowed to go. Through I'll it. give you an example. It used to be, in order for you to qualify for, for genetic counseling for a BRCA mutation, mm-hmm. you had to have more than one family member, female family member, that okay. had a, a breast cancer. They used to rule out prostate cancer. Then oh, they okay. found out that, no, prostate cancer is that same gene. And so oh. they, once they included prostate, so my mother had uh, breast cancer, my grandfather had prostate cancer that automatically then meant I was eligible for genetic um, counseling. But before they made that change, I was not eligible for. Uh, oh. And I never would have found out that I was, that I carry the BRCA mutation had it not been for that change. You see? Right. And then once you had that marker then you were cleared to get more testing more often right exactly so so his point about changing the criteria i think that's a really good point that the criteria for that needs to be changed because then that opens the door for a lot more people who have it uh to be able to get an earlier diagnosis Mm -hmm. but that still doesn't address the twenty eight thousand dollar elephant in the room and we're not going to get into that today (laughs) to make a bet that that number is going to come down 
I'm willing to bet that it's good. It's going to have to come down because this is like such an outrage and there's such an outcry that nobody's going to be able to shell out that kind of money. There's no way. There's no way they're going to be able to approach any kind of equity with that kind of price. That just just that just blew me away. The 56,000 blew me away and it's 28,000 blew me away. But I'm telling you with the amount of people with all these inflammatory conditions coming up, there's going to be a lot higher number of people. They're going to have to, uh, to take another look at the criteria so that they can get people in earlier um, and, and empower uh, doctors to, to, to make the decision to refer people to neurologists, et cetera. But that, that's where it's first got to start. So that's all the time we have today, guys. Thank you so much. And I will talk to you next week. Very good. All right. Bye, guys. All right. Bye. Thanks for listening to Urban Health Weekly today. I hope you'll join me and my friends next week so you can stay informed and inspired to take control of your health. See you next time. It's official. Summer is almost here. The sun is getting brighter. The days are getting longer and your lawn is ready for some love. Get everything you need for a season spent outside with Memorial Day savings from the Home Depot. Manicure your yard to perfection with lawn care tools from RYOBI. Then get your garden going with vegetables and herbs from Bonnie Plants Harvest Select. Plus mulch and soil from Vigoro and EarthGrow. Get your lawn as ready as you are for summer in the sun. Feels like Memorial Day at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.